0: The world has changed and Microsoft Teams is there to help us stay connected. Teams is the safe and secure way to chat, meet, call and collaborate. To learn more, visit microsoft.com/teams.
1: It's time! With Bruce Buffer.
0: And now it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. We are
2: live!
0: It's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer.
1: From the shores of Malibu where the waves are pumping, to the Great Wall of China and back to the streets of Fortaleza, Brazil, where the UFC is coming. We are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show we talk about, you think about, but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will voice it for you because we talk about everything on It's Time. This is No holes Barred Radio, folks, and we have a very, very good show for you today, a fun show. We've got John Anna coming on, along with my co-host, TJ DeSantis, who's here
0: with me now. The world has changed, and Microsoft Teams is there to help us stay connected. Teams is the safe and secure way to chat, meet, call, and collaborate. To learn more, visit Microsoft.com slash teams.
1: Now, TJ, heck of a weekend. Football, UFC, so much to talk about, and John Anik is the man that we need to talk about it with.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll talk to John here in a moment. I'm uh, a little bit discombobulated. I had to move over the weekend. Not my house, but my studio. And uh, I'm all settled. No, uh, no time off. You know, did shows all last week, and take a day off. So, uh, you know, moving a studio in a 24-hour period of time. Uh, I'm just happy it's over, man. It's, it's the worst thing in the world moving.
1: Uh, it's one of my least, if not my least favorite thing to do, I, i it's, it's just crazy. Once it's all done, it's wonderful, but it's, it's definitely, yeah, I can understand. Right. I
0: mean, you can't totally find good. anything. You're sure you packed it up and, and you put it here, but it's not there. And then all of a sudden you find it over here and inevitably something's going to break. It's just the worst. Now,
1: the good thing though, is when you find something you forgot that you had, that's that true happens. Too.
0: That always happens. Plus. And, uh, I found a, I found a crisp $100 bill tucked away uh, this move. So I had no idea that I had uh, put it there, but there you go.
1: There you go. Got a hundred dollars a move. Like a big paycheck. Very <laughs> cool. Right.
0: I, I wish <laughs> I would have found it earlier and paid somebody a hundred bucks to help me.
1: <laughs> I want to thank everybody again for all the uh, orders coming in for the voiceovers and the videos. Kristen and I were so busy during December, fulfilling your Christmas orders, and they just have continued to flow into the new year. So if you're getting married, You need a birthday, voiceover, you want a championship introduction, you're a business, podcast, you name it, Buffer does it. Just send in your request through brucebuffer.com. Kristen will answer with information and fees involved. I love doing these, and we are going to continue to rock and roll on all the videos and audios for you fans all through this year and on. TJ, why don't we go ahead and bring on John Anik. I can't wait to talk about what happened this weekend. It's time! You asked for it and you got it at BruceBuffer.com. Championship introductions at a special rate are now provided for all of you as a keepsake for life, like you are being introduced like a champion in the cage. Just go to BruceBuffer.com. Specials for championship introductions, weddings, birthdays, voicemail, and business recordings. I'm here for you if you need me. Check me out at BruceBuffer.com. And now, I can't think of a better guest to bring on the show, especially during the NFL playoffs, especially during the UFC, now on ESPN. A man who knows more than anybody knows about both those subjects, and here he is, John Anik, UFC commentator, John Anik. Hi, John. That
2: is high praise, BB. Always a pleasure, my man. I, You know, I probably say this on your show every time, but Bruce Buffer calls, you got to take that phone call if you're John Anik. So <laughs> here we are, you know.
1: I appreciate it, especially when you need money, John, answer the phone, please. Huh. <laughs> which almost happened when New England, if New England had not won that game, I might have had to give you a call, especially I after certainly the,
2: would not be on the podcast today if, uh, if the Chiefs had beaten the Patriots. that's for damn sure.
1: be too much withdrawal, too too upset
2: Well, I mean I, to, for, I certainly wouldn't come on to analyze it, right because I don't you know what I mean it's like I don't have to, and so why you know the, the championship game losses, Super Bowl losses. As you can speak to, they're just not very fun, you know. And I, I have a flight booked to Atlanta. And if the Patriots lose a Super Bowl, I got to get in the car and drive back to Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, it's not going to be fun. So thankfully, uh, they won, and and I enjoy talking about it, you know.
1: Well, good. I was going to keep the NFL later, but let's let's just touch on the subject right now. So, are you saying you're going to Atlanta? You're going to the Super Bowl?
2: So I have I rented a truck. Uh, well, I'm flying to Atlanta, and I rented a truck when I get there. I don't have a game ticket right now. I suppose. Bruce Buffer should have been among my first phone calls, TJ, in terms of trying to get a connection for a ticket. But I am on the prowl for a ticket for me and my twin brother. And uh, hopefully, you know, in, in 10 days or so, I'll have secured one and, and I won't have my nose be bleeding for eight or nine G's.
0: Isn't oh. Brian Stan City, Atlanta, Georgia? Can't can you hit up Stan?
2: Oh, you can be sure that Brian Stan has already been reached out to. As yet, though, nobody has uh, been able to come through. I'm more than willing to pay face value. I'm more than willing to pay a premium. What I'm trying to avoid is paying five or six G's for a nosebleed seat. You know, but uh, one way or another, I'll get in the building.
1: Let me ask you, what is the face value? What, what, what What are the tickets going for?
2: Well, first you know? I want to say that I, I said last year if the Patriots with Belichick and Brady got back to one, that I would go because the first eight they've gone to together I haven't gone to. So it's sort of a commitment to myself. I think you can get a bleeder right now for like 3500 bucks, but I'm aiming a little bit higher than that. You know, I don't mind paying a little bit more uh, for a once-in-a-lifetime experience if I can get a little bit closer to the field. But I'm, I'm just excited to be in the building, you know, and uh, one way or another, Buff will make it happen.
1: So what's going to be the bigger number? The money you put on the game or the money you spend on the tickets?
2: So as some of your listeners may know, I, I always bet against the Boston teams to try to purchase championships. And uh, if you haven't been under a rock since February 3rd, 2002, you know that has worked out quite well. I probably spent, you know, 15,000 uh, betting against the Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics and Bruins in playoff and championship situations. You know, I had like two grand on the Chiefs, and it worked out. So uh, we're going to keep that trend going. Uh, As for the Super Bowl, you're right. My wager will now, my wager on the Rams will depend on how much it costs me to get in the building because I am married, and it's not like I can just sneak seven, eight grand under my wife's nose. Yeah, I'm not Bruce Buffer. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm going to take a hit. I'm going to take a hit.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I think you're getting some pretty big paychecks over there, but I'd be happy to do this, Johnny. The Pats are minus two. I think it's a great bet. You're saying that you are going to bet on the Rams, correct? Yes. All right. Action time. We did it last year. Let's do a $200 gentleman bet. You want to give me minus, you want me to take the pass minus two? Do you want to bet with me? Or you want to leave You have
2: away? a bet. So I have the Rams plus two for $200. Is that what you're telling me?
1: Nice gentleman friendly bet. Yes.
2: Outstanding. I love doing business with you, Buff.
1: There we go. I'll love it too, especially when I collect. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All and right, you let's... will. You can be sure.
1: God, I feel like this is charity, TJ. <laughs> All right, so now let's let's just talk for a second here. I went four for four the previous week on the betting side. My Eagles lost, but they covered. Um, I'm a huge Patriots fan. Was, the games were amazing going into overtime. Let's just start with the first game. Big controversy in the Rams and the Saints game. Um, the Saints, you know, obviously being favored to for the win. That non. Referee call, the, the, uh, the pass interference call that was made has now generated a response from the NFL, a rumor to the effect that after that situation, they are going to make pass interference reviewable at length to avoid this from ever happening again. Do you feel that's proper?
2: Yeah, I think something has to be done. It really is tricky because the NFL has gone to great lengths to shore up its instant replay situation. You know, every scoring play is reviewed, and they're able to do it in, in a pretty efficient and economical manner, especially during the regular season when there are a lo- there's a lot more football going on, right? Like, they're making these decisions quickly in the postseason. They're only looking at one game. They're not looking at a full slate. So I think you just have to be careful, though, because if you start allowing instant replay and challenges for face masks, you know, there was a blatant. And face mask on Jared Goff that wasn't called. Is that a challengeable play? Is that a reviewable play? And it sounds to me like you're saying it's just going to be pass interference, which I think makes a lot of sense. In the case of this play, it's crazy because if you eliminate the situation and just focus on the non-call, it's one of the most egregious non-calls I have ever seen in my life. You had two officials in pretty good position to make what was a clear call to anyone who has watched any ounce of NFL football. So the fact that in this type of moment it happened is just absolutely nuts. And there, as you know, I mean, there are always singular plays in these NFL games that swing the outcome. You know, it never really truthfully comes down to one play. But this, in a Final Four situation, it certainly felt like it did. And uh, the officials were in place to make a call. And uh, I, I just don't know how either of those men, with all due respect, is employable anymore, especially given the res- response from one of them. You know what I mean? I, I just don't know how. You know, and, and the thing, too, it's almost like, are you in your own? Own head and not pulling the flag. I mean what are you looking for? You know? Well, it's not like, oh you can't
1: go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, I mean it's like it's just, it's almost like the setting and the situation, the magnitude of the game got in his head and he was afraid to throw the flag.
1: Yeah, well you know refereeing was in question this weekend whether it was in the octagon or on the NFL field. We'll talk about the octagon with Delishaw and Cejudo in a second. But now with that call, there was also stepping to the next game real quick because of the face mask, there was a call that was made on uh, against excuse me There was a call that was made against Kansas City for the face mask hit that Brady took. But when you look at the replay, it was almost like me throwing a phantom punch at you and missing your face like a stuntman move in a movie. That was a bad call in itself, even though I was happy to see the Patriots get that call, if you know what I'm saying. So... Yeah, that, I mean, there's
2: yeah. there's a lot of calls that went, went, went both ways. Uh, and obviously, again, Brady threw an interception. There was a clear neutral zone infraction by Kansas City. If they missed that call, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, right? And everybody in New England is crying foul, you know? It happens. I think that's why you saw Belichick and Brady were just so satisfied. I mean, I can tell you, to a man, a fan, a player, this is the most satisfying non-championship win that this New England team and brass has ever had because to go to Kansas City and beat Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and that team on the road in a championship game with Andy Reid, you know, they, they have a lot of respect for the people in the other locker room. I think Mahomes is going to win a Super Bowl probably next year. Um, that's a huge, huge win, and I know they haven't won anything yet, but feels like championship Tuesday to me, man. i got to be
1: honest with you. Absolutely, and and two last comments regarding the game. Kansas City basically bagel during the first half. They woke up in the second half. They scored an amazing right. amount of points. They almost won the game. Mahomes is destined for a championship ring as well as the rest of the team. Also, the NFL, now I didn't know this, the NFL says the league is looking to report that a laser beam was directed at the Patriots quarterback Tom Brady during Sunday's game. Um, it appeared on Brady's, like, a green light appeared on Brady's upper body on multiple occasions during the game. I would assume if they find out anybody like that, that person would be arrested for that. Is that true or not? Do you know?
2: Oh, yeah, I I would assume so. Anybody who does any, I mean, they're they're very strict, obviously, uh, and they need to be. So, yeah, I mean, I just saw that just before we came on the air, actually. So, yeah, man, it's a crazy world out there. I mean, you know, it's... uh, not an easy time, especially you think a lot about that. I think when you have young children, it's like, man, look at, look at the world that I'm entering these three poor little people into, you know, it's fucking crazy out there, man.
0: Hey, do you guys it's remember cra- like the late nineties, those laser pointers were everywhere. I remember going to right. baseball games and like, y- you couldn't go to an event without seeing them. And now we, we still hear about it, but it's, it's much less frequently. Yeah. But the lasers they have
1: now, I bet are a lot more effective than no when back then. Yeah, so, for sure. It is a different world in that respect.
0: Well, also, too, just with the straight, you know, random violence that happens in the world, it it seems that it's—it it's, feels like it could be much more than just a light nowadays. You know what I mean?
2: That's sort of what I'm intimating, yeah.
0: Yeah, I got you both. I hear what you're both thinking and saying. All right, let's
1: step over to the UFC, okay? On Saturday night was an historic night uh, in respect to the fact that we were having our first show on ESPN— uh, the ESPN Plus, the app, I'm still acclimating myself to it. Um, my mother was able to get it on TV. So if my mom can get it on TV, I think anybody out there can get it on TV. And, oh, you're
2: selling Connie Short.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, she's brilliant. You know that. I know you're her biggest fan, Johnny. <laughs> she's sharper than I am, <laughs> as you always say. <laughs> well, the numbers came in. 568,000 new SPM Plus subscribers between Friday and Saturday, 1.4 million uh, basically on a metered market rating, watching the shows, uh, the highest rated UFC preliminaries ever watched uh, since at least 2013. I would say that the brass, Dana White, everybody, Patrick White, Ari emanuel I would say everybody's pretty happy with those numbers. Wouldn't you, John?
2: Yeah, so if half of those subscribers stay on for a year, you know, some might be, do the trial for the one free show, but let's yeah. just lowball it and say half of those people are subscribed for a year. That's $17 million, right? And for 60 bucks a year, a lot of those people will be around for five years, right? You Again, for five years, three hundred seventeen. you know, do the math, that's $85 million. So it's encouraging, obviously, for us to have you know contributed to that type of imprint i think the timing obviously was very good it was a big sports weekend with a ton of eyes on espn because of the championship games so i don't know if it was strategic but i think they were pushing ufc when there were a lot of eyeballs there and a lot of people looking to run clock on the eve of championship sunday were were watching the ufc so uh you know overall production i uh, was pretty good there were some things we could have done better but you know we've we haven't had a perfect show yet and we never will so uh it's ex- it's exciting for me to have the first one in the can, obviously. I think there was some extra pressure. And, uh, you know, like my my TV scripts took me forever, you know. Just a lot of different elements and and new slugs and, and things for me. Um, but, yeah, man, I thought it was great. Uh, and I'm glad it's in the can.
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, and people, we've talked about it before. But, you know, the preparation, like for me, my preparation pre-show takes me about two and a half hours. Once I get to the show on Saturday, I have another two hours of prep. That's nothing compared to what you do, John. I mean, the the amount of prep that you have to do, people, I don't think they can fathom what it takes to sit behind that desk for six to eight hours, nonstop talking with all the facts and the factuals you've got to put out.
2: Well, I often think about these NFL play-by-play guys who go 17 straight weeks, and in the case of the guys who do the playoffs, they go 20 or 21 straight weekends. But obviously calling an NFL football game, with all due respect to that, is is a different beast than 13 fights. So, yeah, it's a grind. There's no doubt about it. Just try to be as fresh as possible on fight night and make sure you don't blow out all your energy in fight one so you have energy for fight 13. But if you really approach the studying as if Corey Sandhagen you know, and, and guys who fight early deserve just as much respect and time as TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo, then you can never do too much prep and it becomes very daunting. So my anxiety is all in the preparation at this point. There's almost no performance anxiety. Um, I'm excited when I get to the arena because all, all the prep is, is in the barn.
1: Right now, with that being said, you were a prepper a heck of a night of action and fights. Um, some surprises of course. So we look at uh, the Glover to fight. Excellent, strong win over Carl Roberson. Paige Van Zandt, Rachel Ostovich, they just went at it. Uh, great technical fight. Paige winning with the arm bar. Got to give Paige credit. I think her arm bars are approaching, if not near, the amount of arm bars that Ronda Rousey has had in the Octagon. Uh, so she's becoming a bit of an arm bar queen herself for her past efforts. Dustin Ortiz and Joseph Benavides. Were you happy with the outcome of that fight as far as Dustin and Joseph and the way it was scored? You're
2: saying you thought Dustin might have gotten the nod, or?
1: No, I'm just, you know, Dustin was very disappointed after the show, and I could see yeah. where there might be some conjecture, but I thought Joseph fought a hell of a fight. They're two of my favorite fighters. They're always in there, and they give it their all. Um, but, you know, yeah, they're I mean, always I, somebody I, always has to lose, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was close. You know, I probably had a 2-1 Joseph, but again, when I'm calling a fight, you can probably throw out my scorecard. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly a fun fight to watch a lot of interesting grappling exchanges and transitions on the ground. And, you know, we talked a lot about Dustin Ortiz's cardio. It's just, you know, when I sat across from him on Thursday and I was like, whenever people talk about cardio and conditioning, Dustin, I talk about you. And I say, there may be guys who work as hard, but nobody works harder. And he's like, no one works as hard. I assure you. And, I'm sure there are guys who work as hard, but he truly has been an absolute workhorse, and he fought Joseph a lot closer than he did back in 2014. So he's evolved a lot, but he's just not quite there with the elite guys. And uh, you know, we'll see what they do with the flyweight division. You know, I think the writing's on the wall, but but there's still some unknowns.
1: Well, when you have that with the flyweight division, you have got to look at guys like Joseph Benavides, Dustin Ortiz. You have to look, of course, at Henry Cejudo, who's also proved, you know, proven the fact he can go or he wants to go to the 135 uh The bottom line is all these guys will have to go to 135. So when you look at Joseph and you look at Dustin, do you think their careers will be just as strong and performance is just as strong fighting 10 pounds heavier if that's their only choice?
2: Certainly not just as strong. I mean, Benavidez started his UFC career as a weight and won two fights, went two and zero at 135 pounds. So he's certainly a guy who has competed in that weight class before. Of course, he fought Dominick Cruz uh, at a championship level you know, at 135 pounds. So, yeah, I think Joseph could realize some success. I don't know that he'd be in the top five like he is at flyweight. I just think it all comes down to Henry Cejudo and what his appetite for this next fight is right because if you're Cejudo uh does it make more sense to rematch Benavidez and try to avenge a loss or I mean does it make more sense to fight TJ Dillashaw and try to become a simultaneous two-weight champion in what's a much bigger fight you know I understand that this is Cejudo's weight class and for his frame it's the right weight class and he has certainly mastered the weight cut but uh he's got a rematch TJ in my mind I think TJ candidly deserves a rematch and I think it should happen at 135 pounds
1: and I agree with you 100% on everything that you just said. Gregor Golitsky, Yancy Medeiros. Um, I introduced Gregor not as a wrestler, as I should have. I accidentally introduced him as a striker. But he finished this, this fight as a striker. Now, I felt very justified in the fact that I called him a striker, the way he performed and the way he finished this fight. This guy is undefeated, and he's, he's menacing. He's a very, very tough cat in that octagon, John.
2: Oh, I might be my favorite fighter on the roster with respect to the other 250 that I say are my favorite fighter on the roster, <laughs> but seriously, he's an animal. I mean, he. Yeah. the thing is, I was on the bus with him after the fact, and poor guy went to go do the post-fight show, and he came back, and someone stole his backpack with his wallet and everything else, so he was <laughs> irritated to uh, to have a trip to the DMV in his near future, but yeah. he's 6-0 in the UFC. He's 13-0 overall. His college wrestling credentials are absurd. I'm not going to run them down for you, but... He has the longest finishing streak of any fighter in the UFC right now. Unless I'm mistaken, nobody in the UFC has finished six straight opponents. He has five. So even if at times maybe it's not a striker's delight or the most fan-pleasing fight in the world, domination and and takedown, right? Like, George St. Pierre made the takedown fun to watch for me when he's tossing Tiago Alves 30 feet across the octagon. Gregor Gillespie is enjoyable to watch because it's total domination. And as he articulated after the fact, and as he said to me on the bus, it's like... You want me to finish guys, right? That's the goal is to go in there and stop guys, and no one's done that better than he has. So, yeah, it's not flying knees and fucking Superman punches, but I don't know what we're looking for.
1: John, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry, lost for a second. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, r- refresh my memory. Ben Askren, what weight does yeah. he fight at? Would he fight 70. a lightweight? Seventy. Okay, I just love to see Gregor and Ben go at it. That's two. Oh, quality. sure.
2: I mean, well, yeah. Well, I think I, I, Gregor and Khabib is a fight that I know Ken float would love
1: ooh, to see. Ooh, yes. I didn't even think about that. I should have. Yes, you're right. All right, Greg Hardy uh, debuting in the actual UFC octagon on UFC Fight Night. Um, Alan Crowder, uh, the fight stopped early due to an illegal knee. Uh, your viewpoint on that? Good stoppage. The whole nine yards.
2: Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear your viewpoint. Um, I, I thought the right decision was made, but I just didn't like the way Dan Mergliata carried himself in that situation. I thought that Greg Hardy, I don't think he was looking for a way out. I don't think there was anything intentional about it. I think this is a very green martial artist with three pro fights who did not start training any martial art until November of 2016, other than a few boxing repetitions because the NFL started getting into you know some martial arts training. So. If, if another fighter who was 3-0 and threw a knee like this, and by the way, it wasn't a full-velocity knee because Alan Crowder would have been far worse if that had been the case, wow. um, but if any other fighter, I think, who's 3-0 and in the UFC deservedly on the roster or otherwise at 3-0 and had thrown this knee, it wouldn't have been handled the same way. Sure, it might have been a DQ if the guy couldn't continue, but he's being read the riot act by everyone and people. I understand it was the worst case scenario for him, but at least in my opinion, there was nothing intentional about it. He was very remorseful after the fact he was crying on the bus. Uh, This is the last thing he needed. He knew it. And and in my mind, there was nothing intentional about it.
1: Well, my viewpoint, because it happened to happen directly in front of me where I was sitting. Right. Uh, Yeah. So I, I viewed it as an illegal knee. I viewed it as a proper stoppage for the results because Alan Crowder just couldn't recover. I mean, he was having a hard time recovering. Greg Hardy, I saw I saw a report on his post-fight press conference. I thought he handled himself very well. I thought he was very honest about it. He basically said, have I ever cheated in the past when I played football, when I did this? He said one statement, if I'm correct in this, that he was fully not aware in so many words of the rules that, which means that he needs to be first better on the rules. And even though we just started training in 2016, knowing how to throw or when not to throw a knee being illegal or proper is something you should know before you step into that octagon on fight night. So that, you're right.
2: And he's, yes. And he's training with the rule set every day. So he certainly should know the rule, right? His act becomes less defensive when he says he didn't know the rule. Mm -hmm. Um, because even though it wasn't total chaos in the octagon at that time, he still, you know, through the strike with intent, right, unknowingly in my mind. So, yeah, man, I guess I just felt like Dan Mergliata was, like, emotionally invested, which a referee should never be, and call me crazy, but he just... It almost seemed like, you know, he shouted for everyone, including Crowder, to hear, you know, in an angry manner, like, hey, if, if, if this guy can't continue, I'm disqualifying that guy. Almost as if his inner monologue was because of, of Greg Hardy's past transgressions outside the octagon. Um, I'm going to tell the world right now that he's getting, it was almost like Murviana wanted to DQ him. Um, I just, I don't know, man, that was really surprising for me to see Dan so emotional uh, in there.
1: Dan was upset when I got in the octagon. I mean, he was upset about the, the, the knee that was thrown. He was upset at Greg the whole bit, but he was you know doing his job as a referee. But I will say, like you're saying, uh, I saw Dan a little more emotionally uh, into this decision than normal. But you know, he is one of the best referees out there. They are the sheriffs of the octagon. But there's a lot of refereeing questions, like I said, both in the NFL and on this night in the UFC. Um, Greg Hardy and Crowder was very entertaining to watch. I, I wanted to see it go further. What happened, happened. Obviously, they'll both be back. Now, let's talk about the flyweight title fight. We have a double belt champion in T.J. Dillashaw. We have a single belt champion defending, reigning the flyweight title in Henry Cejudo. Get stopped at 30 seconds or whatever it was by Kevin McDonald, who's also another very fine referee. Let's have your take. was it stopped early. How do you feel?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Kevin McDonald is a top-five referee, and I think it was a little bit early. I think given the the championship stakes, uh, given the fact that I think, as Daniel Cormier said to me after the fact, you know, these are flyweights, right? It's not like these guys are, are middleweights, right? So maybe five seconds longer, the damage maybe wouldn't have been as steep as it would be if these guys were, you know, heavyweights or light heavyweights, Um, but yeah, I thought it was a little bit early, especially after watching it after the fact, but I defer to these refs, you know, they're right there in front of the action, you know, they're trying to protect these fighters. Josh Rosenthal, and TJ knows this all too well, was a referee that was ubiquitously celebrated because he would always let fights go long, and that results sometimes in some incredible rallies and comebacks, but I think the problem is referees who allow these fights to go on end up being celebrated, and the referees who prematurely stop fights, you know, are the ones who you know get our venom, right? So Kevin texted me. He said, you know, he just they don't want to be a part of the story, not unlike a play-by-play announcer buff, right? Like they, he he just wants it to be drama-free at the end of the night, and uh, he stands by his decision, but he just feels bad that they're talking about him.
1: Yeah, I understand, but as I always say, all publicity is good publicity. Just spell my name correctly. But, you know, in the case of a referee, there's a reputation. Um, They are. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. One of the toughest jobs, aside from your job, John, and I consider it to be a a hard job. You've got to be on your toes and ready to go when you're behind that desk. When you're in that octagon and you're the referee, and it's all about fighter safety. I'm for it. You're for it. I don't even need to ask you about it. They make the decisions. We can't quite well, we can question them, but we have to abide by them is the way it goes. So that was just it. I got to see another fight between these two warriors. I was, I was bummed as everybody was bummed. We knew it was going to be a pure six, highly skilled brawl, highly skilled MMA fight, five rounds, four rounds, three rounds, two. We got 30 seconds. Disappointing. Right. But Henry Cejudo, major credit, John. He came out fists flying. This is not the way Henry Cejudo normally comes out for a fight. He attacked Dillashaw like a lion, and, and yeah. he got on top of him. You know, I get give him all the credit in the world. And T.J., the gentleman that he is in defeat, had a total right to be upset, had a total right to act how he acted, but he did nothing but praise Henry Cejudo. T.J. Dillashaw acted with class, as did Henry. Love seeing it, but I want to see the fight again.
2: Yeah, I, TJ at first, you know, I don't think uh, handled it as well as he would have liked to. And, and I know in my post-fight interview, uh, maybe when I suggested that he was all class, it was a little bit of a reach, even though I was speaking more about, I think, fight week in, and in a broader sense. But he went on Henry's Instagram the following day and was like, congratulations, sorry I wasn't more sincere the night before. I just think they need to fight again, and that for TJ absolutely has to happen. For Henry... Um, you know, praise the Lord, man. I mean, all credit to this guy. He deserves it. Uh, He had a very specific game plan. And even though I haven't heard him speak to this after the fight, um, I think that was his game plan, right? Which was to go out there and, and really try to dictate what happened, especially early and to strike a little bit with TJ. I mean, a lot of people suggested he had heavier hands and that TJ's chin has been cracked by John Dodson and cracked by Cody Garbrandt and others at times so um you know i think there was some segment of the fan base that wasn't totally surprised by this i mean certainly the 32 seconds on the clock but uh just great for henry you know he's done everything the right way he really has the only thing you could ever knock on him was that early on in his career he wasn't you know handling the weight cut as well as he could but uh he's a great ambassador for the ufc he really is and I, I would like to see them keep the division for him because I think he could be a long, long reigning champion. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I like hearing him talk. Uh, I like everything about him.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I share those same sentiments and no matter how you cut it, he's an amazing historical accomplished athlete, you know, gold medal, both in uh, the Olympics and gold around his waist in the UFC. Who the heck has, has, else has that? Right. Amazing. It's crazy.
2: Comp- it it crazy. really is. And it's so funny how life works because middle of last year, Daniel Cormier becomes a two-division UFC champion. He wins the heavyweight title to go with his active, current, light heavyweight title. He's on top of the world, right? And then a few months later, you know, Henry Cejudo is in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame and ends Demetrius Johnson's reign to become the only guy with Olympic gold and UFC gold. And then he does this, right? It's like, yeah, he was joking on the broadcast. I said, thank God Daniel Cormier got his 2018 Fighter of the Year award out of the way because uh, Cejudo is closing fast, you know? It's... It's just funny. I sort of bring it up in the context of D.C. being on top of the world. And then, man, look at Cejudo. I mean, what Daniel Cormier. He has eight UFC belts at home. I bet he'd give you seven of them for an Olympic gold medal, if not all eight.
1: Uh, absolutely. Being the kind of competitor, that an athlete that Daniel is, I have to agree with you. Well, it was a heck of a night, a hell of a night. Um, looking forward to the next one. We're now in the family of ESPN. I believe it's going to create more eyeballs than ever for the UFC as it grows, you know, and trajectory over the next year, you know, five years that we've been contracted with the SPN. It's going to be a very exciting ride, John. You and I have first class seats on that bus, and I'm going to enjoy every single minute of it with you. No question. Um yeah man. With this, I want to go into another story here real quick. Uh this involves a UFC fighter and this is something that's kind of heartfelt heartfelt. Fabricio Verdun, he's not fighting in the UFC. He's going to be fighting in uh in EBI, correct TJ? Yes, February twenty second he's doing a combat jujitsu. Right. Well, I don't know if you guys heard about this or not. And this is really praise. He's a great guy. I know Fabrizio, one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life, uh, both as a fighter and both as a man. The former UFC heavyweight actually saved the life of a drowning teen on Sunday at Torrance, California Beach. He was on the beach with his family having a picnic. And he saw a rescue effort when the lifeguard was going into the water and without hesitation dove into the water to assist the fighter saved, the lifeguard saved one, a lifeguard in a boat saved one teen, while the fighter saved another because he realized the lifeguard couldn't handle both, um, save, saving both individuals. So basically he went out there, he grabbed one of the, uh, red cans, what we call them, I used to be a lifeguard, we call them cans, but they're basically foam. And he swam out about 75 yards out and saved a young boy with the orange buoy. He slung it around his chest and he went right out there. Good for him. That's, I love hearing these stories. Awesome.
2: Very, very... I mean go to mma and read the full version of that story it gave me chills when I was reading it earlier and the, the the takeaway quote is uh he says something like you know it just his heart is just beating through his skin it's like you've been in a you've been in a, a cage with the door locked with Kane Velazquez right he's like that's nothing you know what I mean I mean I'm, I'm paraphrasing but he basically said it just made the, a fight in the UFC feel like you know a day at the park with your kids right when you're in the life to death, life and death situation like he was in today or a few days ago so yeah man good for Verduum, and happily he uh he was able to uh, get out safely himself because it sounded like maybe people that were alongside him were like dude I don't know if you should battle that water
1: well exactly because the waves actually were large that day so you know it makes a whole different world when you're swinging out in the ocean so uh, good for good for Mauricio very very cool john we, we're gonna go over some news. do you have to go do you have 10 more minutes or you gotta go cause I got to go because a couple ten minutes All right, cool. Christian Ronaldo. Christian Ronaldo has been ordered to pay a $21 million fine as punishment for tax fraud. He didn't report some, he made 90 million last year, right? But he didn't report 16.7 million in income that was made from his image rights in Spain. So he was facing a 23 months prison sentence, but he hammered out a deal to save himself. So, you know, I guess the rich get richer or whatever. It's amazing. You have so much money. You don't pay your taxes. You hide money. Whatever his reasoning. He's got other issues, too. He's being sued in the United States by a woman who claims um, she was raped by him. I have to say it. That's what it says in the news. In a hotel, uh, Vegas hotel room in 2009. So definitely uh, one of the greatest soccer players ever. But pay your taxes, Ronaldo. Pay your taxes. Avoid this kind of stuff. You don't need to go to jail. Yeah,
2: and time is money, right? I mean, he's got to deal with all of the legal stuff. And come on, dude.
1: Oh, huge money, huge money. And there's no soccer in jail, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think it'd be a fun time. Are you into sharks? TJ and I talk about it all the time. They reported the legendary, the biggest great white shark, or believed to be the largest on the planet, was spotted by divers as it fed on a whale carcass off the coast of Hawaii. They got footage. One of the divers got in and swam beside it. That's balls of steel. A 20-foot-long female. They believe the female. Oh, Twenty feet long. That means the head is probably, if I'm doing a guesstimate, is probably in the area of eight feet wide. It's crazy. That the shark is over fifty years old and they feel that possibly could be pregnant. So they captured it. These pictures are oh unbelievable. God. Staggering. Wow. Enjoy your trip to Honolulu. I'm
2: telling. Well, right. It's like I'm sitting here in Florida, looking out my backyard, and the sign says, "Beware of gators. Resident fishing only." You know. Um, And now you're just,
1: I just, you're scaring me, Buff. I I love Hawaii. I know, but you know, in your area too. I mean, gators get a number of people. People don't realize how many they get a year. And also, they've done visuals over the coast of uh, Miami, right? When people are in there in the water, and you can see the little tiny sharks swimming in and out of the people in knee-deep water over there. I've seen this. There's sharks all over the place. Now, whether they're going to attack or not, I'm not trying to scare you, but they're there. They're there. Uh, Are you a big movie buff? Do you enjoy film?
2: I mean, I love, I mean, I used to obviously have more time to watch movies before I had children. um, Ages seven, five, and six months old. God help me. But yeah, I mean, my memory's not great, but yeah, I mean, of course.
1: Well, they they announced the Oscars, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to save some time on that. I have some collectible stuff I want to share with you before I let you go because I think you're going to find one of these very, very fascinating. Jackie Robinson. Here. Thank Jackie Robinson. The historical baseball contract that Jackie Robinson signed with the Brooklyn Dodgers. It's one of the most important documents of all time because of course he was the first Afro American ball player to play professional baseball. Am I correct in that, right? So first one to sign with a major league team. Okay, they expect it to, to hit the auction block and to bring millions. Okay, how much do you think was appraised at, his contract, John? Just take a wild guess.
2: I thought you were going to tell me that Brian Buffer somehow secured it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brian so would, would have... be all over this, but this yeah. is more money than the Buffer family has, I think. <laughs> yeah, you no, I
2: mean, I, I, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know, $20, $20 million.
1: Close, $36 million appraisal. Oh, They're going to put it out for a $15 million reserve, and it's going to be up for auction. They expect it to fetch millions. A lot of times, these appraisals, it goes like my my, my cards for UFC 232 I put on auction and sold uh, to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I sold them individually. John, I, We talked about this last week. John Jones' card went for $250, give or take, and Mana Nunes' card uh, against Cyborg went for $4,272 and was bought by Dan Lambert, who happens to own American Top Team, but he was on the show and talked about it. He put his son and they did the bidding, and they got in a bidding war. You never know what these things are going to go for, ever. That's amazing amazing now another another interesting thing here you're familiar with Kenyon drake i mean he's down your territory okay Kenyon drake's they call it the miami miracle ball are you familiar with this ball
2: yes and the story
1: yeah okay so basically it's a great investment for everybody won it um it's definitely a blemish on tom brady's career that's why i figured you would know it that ball just sold for eighteen thousand dollars
2: yeah And Tom fucking Brady is preparing for the Super Bowl right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So
2: um, they can have their Miami miracle. And what's so interesting about it is because that play prevented the Patriots from playing the Chiefs at Gillette Stadium two days ago, right? Had that play not happened, that game would not have been at Arrowhead. And it's so goddamn satisfying. I mean, I sound like a complete asshole right now, but it's (laughs) so satisfying to go to Arrowhead. And to win the AFC championship in a year in which the AFC was really tough, man, with the Ravens and the Chargers and obviously the Chiefs, um, to get out of the AFC this year has me very excited. So, uh, I, I mean, the TJ, how am I, how am I supposed to react when he starts trotting out this Miami Miracle stuff? I'm down here in South Florida trying to shield myself from all these Ryan Tannehill jerseys. I don't know what you want from me.
1: I, I save this one especially for you. Two more and these this is up Brian, uh, my brother Brian Buffer's in my alley, Brian being the huge collector that he is of World War II. Artifacts, military guns and artifacts, rifles, swords, everything, as well as myself. The War War the historical World War II document, the original surrender agreement by Germany that ended World War II in Europe, is going to be on sale now for three point five million dollars. We have many, many documents from World War II, some worth tens of thousands of dollars, but $3.5 million, it's amazing. And I, I would say that's worth $3.5 million, definitely.
2: You know, if if your brother... I don't know how much you talk about your brother's collection, and Bruce has a tremendous collection in his own right, but we used to have a, a collectible show on a radio station that I was the program director of, so I got into it a little bit. Brian Bufferman, I mean, he has an absurd collection. You know, I'm sure there's some... Some gems in there that he doesn't even know are worth, you know, six, seven figures. You just don't know, right?
1: No, he doesn't know. I mean, he knows, but it's like he'll pull stuff out. Like he put a few things on eBay uh, the last month of last year, two last couple months. He pulled them out of a drawer. You don't even notice them missing, and he moved like about ten to twenty thousand dollars in product on eBay. With just. The- yeah, I, he, Did it, I, mean, I don't even notice it. I went his house. You don't even notice it. It's impossible. He's got. It's not just home. He, he has so much. He's got them in the vaults. He's not going to keep it at, at the house where it's dangerous. He's got a few items there, but he's got his stuff socked away, as I do, too. One thing also, I had a big collector, I've told you before, of wax packs, of unopened wax packs. And, right. TJ, we've talked about this, the 61 Fleer wax pack. I have two of these. I paid $1,100 for each of them approximately four years ago. Last year, they sold for $2,100. Now, one just sold last week. And I always tell you, they go up anywhere from 20%, 30 50%, sometimes even 100% i have seen it happen. Just sold for $3,305, and it's PSA graded seven, which is one grade less than what I have, which means that my pack could maybe go for four. I paid $1,100 for this four years ago. That's almost a 3 hundred percent return on my original investment people i'm telling you save collect but the old stuff supply and demand is worth the most money incredible
2: it's interesting too when you have young people right kids like i do and you buy certain toys and they become sort of all the rage you know you find yourself thinking long term and thinking hey i wonder if i buy like 50 of these unopened and just stash them away if they might be worth something someday and uh yeah, it's, it's, a, it's fascinating. It really is. And, uh, I don't know. I always try to tell or Brian, like, dude, don't be afraid to sell that one man you know, <laughs> because the collection is so vast.
1: Well, you, it's just like anything else. You try not to get emotionally attached, but it's really hard. I mean, I, was, I wouldn't move anything in my house unless I have to, you know, or my, my areas See, where I'm I keep far
2: them. less emotional, I think with my stuff, you know, um, even now that I have a little boy, um, I just don't know, I mean, because the baseball card inventory that I have is pretty obnoxious, you know, but they're not all nicely packaged up like yours. But um, I always thought, you know, I got all these boxing gloves signed by, you know, because every fight we would go to, we'd get a signed glove by both guys. Um, I guess I just never... uh, Got too attached to any of it, you know. I'm more attached to your poster collection
1: than anything I have under my roof. To be so, honest with yeah. you, <laughs> so am I, John. <laughs> so am I, and it's understandable. Keep it that way, John. There will be the ones that you get attached to. You'll know it when you see it. You'll feel it. Yeah, and it's and it's all good, John. It's always great to have you on the show. I want to let you get back. You got a lot to do, I'm sure. But now you've got time off, right? I mean, we're not going to do anything till Melbourne, correct?
2: Yeah. It just depends how you quantify the time off. I mean, by doing your podcast, I got out of bath time. I still got to do bedtime tonight. Um, it's chaos, man. It's almost like when I get on the road is my reset because when I'm home, it's complete chaos right now, but I wouldn't have it any other way.
1: And the kids are good. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's happy.
2: They're good, man. I mean, I don't like babies, so, I, you know, I, it's, it's like it's hard having a little guy. Like, I, I know my wife wants me to cherish these days and, and sleepless nights and everything else, but I, I'm i excited when I can put him down and tell him to fucking scurry and run along, you know. I mean, I don't, I am very excited for him to be 12, 14, 16 months and be a little bit older. I, I'm not shy about it. I do not like the baby phase. He's cute, but he's just like a little heater. It makes me hot.
1: John, I just I, I would like to have the chance to go with you to one of his future Little League baseball games because I'm sure you're just gonna be such a great dad when it comes to your kid playing sports.
2: I'm going to be so old; they're going to think his grandfather's there. But yeah,
1: I'll be there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll be the one they think his grandfather's huh. there. You're still going to look fine. Don't worry about it. Hey, listen, Mama Buffer and Brother Brian—they both knew you're coming on the show. I called them, you know, before you came on, and they said to please give you the best wishes. And of course, Mama Buffer will be liking your Instagram posts for many, 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 many months to come, years to and come. And how about
2: Excuse the fact you. that I shouted them both out unprompted? Hopefully, they listen to It's
1: time. Listen, Mama Buffer, one of my biggest fans and listeners you know i i talked to her before and after every show and she actually talks about the fighters you know she goes into it yes john she's gonna when i tell her you're on the show which i already did trust me she can't wait till thursday she'll be
2: there all right well tell her i'm sorry about the foul language and i will leave you with this it was reported today that the ufc is returning to miami florida on april
1: 27th wow there you go. Drive to work.
2: That's a, that's a fucking home game right there. I'm, oh. Well, I love Miami, so I'm going to ask Zach Candido if he'll get me a hotel room for a couple nights, even though it's only 45, 50 minutes away. But um, the reporting. Joel Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa, potentially for the main event. This is very, very exciting. Mixed martial arts is enormous in Florida, and you need to bring the right fight to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I'm jumping out of my skin. I'm so excited.
1: No, I'm jumping, too. We haven't been to Miami in years.
2: No, years. it's going to be uh, 50, 14,
1: 16 years. Yeah. And again, as far as the hotel room, listen, when they come to LA, that 40, 50 minute drive can easily become two hours. You never know what it's going to be. The hotel room will be not be a problem, John, not be a problem. Yeah.
0: Hey, if you want to utilize that UFC fight pass subscription, the last time the UFC was in Miami was UFC 42, where Joe Rogan was forced to do play-by-play with his color commentator, Phil Baroni, And, uh, they've had better nights. Let's just say that, but. Boy, wow, does that, does that bring back memories? Yeah, what a
1: historical comment. I remember that now. Wow.
0: Yeah, Baroni says, quote, ah, he shot his load. This one's over. <laughs> All right, sounds oh, good. Times have changed.
1: Hey, you'll appreciate this, John. and let you go. The L.A. City, you know, we had 600,000 600, students that could not go to school for the last week because the, the teachers went on strike. Rupert, my uh, nephew, my boy, being one of them. Just to now settle the suit. Everybody goes back to school tomorrow. Kristen is very happy. Very happy.
2: Oh, man. And that's, as a parent, uh, you, in a lot of respects, you can't wait for Monday. It's crazy. But, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, run along now. Run along. We'll see you later, <laughs> you know. I mean, I sound like the worst father in the world, and I'm not. But, it, it's you know, it's real, man. It really is. It's, it's the, the greatest joy and pain you will ever experience.
1: John, for the listening audience, before you sign off, I just got to tell you, you're one of the greatest dads in the world. I've been with you on the road out of the country, and you cannot wait to get home to see your wife and your children, of all of which you love more than anything. Good for you, John. Thank you, man.
2: Yeah, no, first flight out always, man. Always, always good to be with you guys, and and we're happy with our podcast. We got TJ DeSantis back at the controls, thank God. So uh, it's been a good start to 2019. I'm excited for Melbourne. That is a massive, massive fight, and... uh, little recreation time in Melbourne as well, so uh, I'm excited to get to Australia.
1: Exactly, and you're with us because you're, you're part of the Revolver podcast family.
2: Isn't it pronounced Revolver?
1: Or Revo- I'm saying Revolver, but then again, okay. I'm not announcing it in the octagon, so I don't have to practice it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I think it's... TJ, what is it? Is it Revolver or Revolver? I don't know. Revolver, right. what do you it's want? Now,
2: I am almost positive because I did my research uh, that it is Revolver, but...
1: Not tomato, tomato? Revolver? revolver.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's revolver. Um, but we're excited to be a part of the, the family, that's for sure. Jack and Tracy, we love you. We'll get the pronunciation right long-term, don't you
1: worry. Absolutely. It's only been a year, but I'm getting it down, Jack. I'm getting it down, Tracy. I'll make sure it happens. <laughs> All right, John. Have a great day. Love you, brother. Take care. Say hi to everybody for me, will you please?
2: Love you too, buddy. I will. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.
1: See you, John. Take care. Thanks, John always as always fun to have John Annick on the show. So with that being said, I want to go over one last thing TJ before we leave. If I can find it, what did I do with it? And it's about the it's the Oscar nomination. Oh,
0: I so, thought it was just your adoration for me, but that's fine. Oh, that goes without saying. Come on.
1: But I can't I can't butter your bread too much every single show. True. So let's let's go to you can butter mine though if you want. Come on. Uh, I mean, Hello?
0: come on, Buff. You sure. you don't need it. Like you're, you're, uh, you're drenched in butter. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) All right. You're you're, uh, shrimp scampi. (laughs) Shrimp scampi.
1: I'll take it. I can't find the nominations here. Darn it. I just want to get the best picture ones. That's all I want. Okay. Best picture nominees, Black Panther. Um, never saw it. I haven't seen it yet. You know, and I, I have it. That's I get this. I, I belong to the screen actors guild. And when you remember, they send you the DVDs of movies. So I have that to watch. Uh, Black Klansman, Spike Lee's film, fantastic movie. I've seen it twice.
0: I need to see that one. That's with uh, uh, Topher Grace, Den- right? Uh, no,
1: yes, Denzel and Denzel Washington's son is oh, the yeah. unique actor in the, in the film.
0: He's great in ballers. Oh,
1: he's, he's an excellent actor. What, yeah. he, I mean, I've seen him in a couple films. He does a great job. Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, nominated. The favorite nominated Green Book, Roma. Another film I knew would be nominated, which is A Star is Born, which is getting rave reviews for Lady Gaga's performance. And a very disturbing yet must-watch film, if you're politically inclined or interested in what's going on in in our country's government or in the past, is the film Vice about Cheney. That will open up your eyes to a lot when it comes to politics, let me tell you. So very, very cool. Let's see these coming up. I want to see if I got the best Oscar actor... I'm sorry, I didn't prepare for this properly. I don't have them all here.
0: Anyway, all right. the Oscars—you you the had them. Oscar. I know you had them, but you know, you get John on, we get in the groove, and then show. No, I got over. it right here. Got it right here. Got it right here. Freddie. Gotcha. Christian Bale, who
1: plays Cheney and Vice, amazing performance. Best Actor. Bradley Cooper for A *Star Is Born*. William Defoe, longtime character actor, nominated for *At Eternity's Gate*. Rami Malek, who plays Freddie Mercury in the Queen biopic *Bohemian Rhapsody*. And Vigo Mortensen for Green Book. There you go. Best Actress. Uh, Glenn Close for The Wife. I heard it's fantastic. Well, actually, I saw it. She was fantastic. Excuse me. Lady Gaga. Isn't that amazing? It really blows me away. I've always said this. Performers, whether it's comedians like, like Jim Carrey, David Bowie, Jack Lemon, the great actor from the past, on and on and on. And, and also uh, people like Lady Gaga. I could go on about it. Share. When they go to film. It seems like they adapt so well. This is her first movie, and she's been nominated for a Best Actress Award. Granted, it's about a singer, but she still had to do the acting. And Melissa McCarthy, long-time you know, comedic actor. She's been nominated for a film called Can You Ever Forgive Me, stepping out of her comedic uh, area into this film, and now a nomination. So good luck to all of them. One last thing, to directors. I always like to see this because you wonder if a film was nominated for Best Movie— well, then the director should also be nominated for Best Director. And as I look here, that is the case. The Best Director is Spike Lee for Black Klansman. And then for the other film, Vice, Adam McKay, all good. All right, everybody out there, if you're looking forward to the Oscars, you've got the Golden Globes, all that. We're in the season now of the movies. Uh, one film I don't know will make it is Holmes and Watson. But <laughs> it was fun being in the film. Tons and tons of fun
0: being in that movie. All
1: right, TJ, that's it for me.
0: Nice. Uh Good stuff on ESPN. You don't get enough credit uh, yourself from time to time. So here's that, that mandatory red buttering. Figure I'd get it before we get it out of the way. Um, Thank you. you Yeah. No, great job. It was awesome seeing the UFC on, on ESPN and uh, the numbers that you and John uh, talked about, uh, I think reflected uh, what big deal this actually is. And uh, it's great, man. It's awesome. I'm tickled pink.
1: I, I look to the future as nothing but looking to the future. Can't wait. Tons and tons of entertainment coming, not just for us and our work that we do, but for all the viewers and around the world that love the UFC. It's so much to come. So, so much. All right, everybody. TJ, tell everybody then get a hold of you, as we always do, and then we'll move on.
0: Yeah, uh, at TJ DeSantis on Twitter, at TJ DeSantis on Instagram, um, you know, I don't know. That, that's it. Instagram, Twitter, hit me up if you want. Otherwise, uh, Uh, Check out some of my stuff on Patreon. We cover mixed martial arts and a variety of shows. Patreon.com forward slash between rounds. Sounds great. And for me, uh, Twitter at Bruce Buffer, Instagram
1: at Bruce Buffer UFC. I enjoy the feedback I get on the posts that I make. I will see you all from Melbourne. I will not be in Fortaleza, Brazil on the second or third when that show is. uh, But I will be in Melbourne, Australia, looking very much forward to going down under. And I'm looking forward to getting back to Brazil. I think it's in May when we come back for a very big show in Brazil. I have not been to Brazil for a long time, and I can't wait to get back. So everybody, have a great week. We'll be back next week. Treat everybody around you with respect. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be a role model to your sphere of influence. Set your goals. Write them down. Learn as much as you can about them before you step on that path. And when you do, be the best you can be. Do the best job you can, because that means you're winning. And that's what we talk about here on It's Time Radio. We talk about winning. Thank you all for tuning in. Buffer out. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to DeSantisProd at
0: gmail.com. The world has changed, and Microsoft Teams is there to help us stay connected. Teams is the safe and secure way to chat, meet, call, and collaborate. To learn more, visit Microsoft.com slash Teams.
1: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers. Hunt for muddy puddles. And bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.